Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister. And as always, you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. In this episode, I'm joined by Luke Kappa and Sam Shaheen to discuss several new goggles we've been testing, though I think it's safe to say that I win the award for the best-slash-worst goggle testing story here. Then we discuss a couple new skis from Armada, and then we go into which ski companies have stood out to us the most so far this season. After that, we share a few of the most excellent responses we've received from the Blister Reader slash Listeners survey that we are currently conducting on the website. Speaking of which, I would strongly encourage you to head over to the website and fill out this survey. For one, because if you complete the survey, you will be entered to win a $1,300 fully custom ski from Folsom. That is a pretty sweet prize for filling out a survey. And second, your feedback is extremely valuable in helping us maintain our independence, refine how we do things, provide more value to you, and give us a better sense of what you'd most like to see and or hear from us. So thank you in advance for that. Please visit our homepage. That is, of course, blisterreview.com. Click on the survey, fill it out, and then we hope you win yourself some really sweet custom skis. Before we get started, I want to just say a quick word about our Blister Speaker Series at Western Colorado University in Gunnison, Colorado. Our next and final event for this school year is happening April 25th at Western, and our guest is Ashley Kornblatt. Ashley wears a lot of hats. She is the owner of Western Spirit Cycling, the owner and founder of Outer Bike. She is the creator of Public Land Solutions. She is also a board member of the Outdoor Industry Association, and she is an inductee in the Mountain Bike Hall of Fame. Dear Lord. In short, Ashley is a very cool and super smart badass who knows the outdoor industry and many of the ins and outs of a number of really important outdoor policy initiatives and ongoing battles, so we will definitely be getting her take on some of those issues and the best ways to move forward as she sees it. As always, these events are free and they've been awesome, and we would really love to see you at Western on Thursday, the 25th. And now, let's get to my conversation with Luke and Sam. I am here in Blister headquarters at Elevation in Crested Butte, and it is time once again to talk to Sam Shaheen and Luke Kappa. And Sam, I wanted to get started with you. Last week, you recorded this conversation at Backcountry Access headquarters with Bruce Edgerly, where you guys were talking about Avi Beacon Tech and backcountry safety in general. And people can listen to that. That was our last Gear 30 episode. And I guess I'm just curious to hear from you if you've had a week on that conversation now, just any specific takeaways or things that stood out to you on those topics and from your conversation with Bruce. Yeah, you know, it was a really interesting conversation. Um, I definitely suggest that you guys go out and give it a listen, especially if you uh, spend any time in the backcountry at all. But the thing that that really kind of stuck out to me and has sort of been resonating this past week is this idea of, um, you know, beacon searches being kind of easy. You know, Bruce has done all this research and um, one of his papers, he goes through and interviews a bunch of people. We don't talk about this directly in the podcast, but we, we talked about this 
a bit afterwards um, where he interviewed a bunch of people um, that were involved in fatal accidents. And in the vast majority of these accidents, the beacon search was really pretty quick. Um, there was a few outlying situations where there was multiple burials or particularly tricky multiple burials where maybe the victims were very close or the burial depth was ex was extremely deep, something like that. But in the vast majority of cases, beacon searching went really, really quick. And the thing that kind of everyone said was that shoveling was the thing that took the most amount of time. And in many cases, better shoveling techniques or planning could have could have changed the outcome of, of, of the accident. Which is kind of surprising because as backcountry skiers, you know, in the beginning of the year, we usually go and do a bunch of beacon practice, you know, like bury the beacon in some snow, run around, try and find the beacon. And really, it's not that difficult, um, even when you throw out a bunch of beacons and do stuff like that. But practicing shoveling is A, a lot harder, and B, perhaps because it's harder, people don't really do it. But putting your time into practicing shoveling is clearly a very important thing. So I think that's something that, that everyone should have in the back of their mind. And if not going out and practicing shoveling, knowing, knowing the, the proper techniques and how to, how to excavate, you know, effectively. So you're not just digging straight down into a hole and collapsing airways and um, things like that. So uh, definitely take a listen to the conversation. It was really interesting. And uh, think about, think about your shoveling next time you're out practicing safety. It's so interesting. We spend all this time on, you know, new tech and new gear and the rest. And it's like, dude, you want to save a life? Like learn how to shovel better. Kind of crazy. Yeah. And that it was a good conversation. So yeah, I hope everybody does check that one out because that is some very important stuff. Um, I want to ask you two about some new goggles that you guys have been reviewing. Yeah. So we have been testing a few different goggles this season um, we've gotten two different ones from Smith, um, both new for 1920. Uh, the first one that I'm very stoked on is what they're calling the 4D mag. Um, it uses uh, a magnetic lens swap system similar to their IO mag, but the unique thing about the 4D mag is that the lens itself extends kind of below the frame, um, whereas pretty much every other goggle on the market is just flat across the front. The 40 mag has a portion on the bottom that kind of curves below the frame. And we just posted a review of it recently. I think it was a week or two ago. And while it's definitely not for everyone, um, I've come to love it because I, most days on the mountain, I'm using a pack and shooting pictures and having to try to fiddle with pack chest straps and waist straps and camera gear while looking down is actually pretty annoying with most goggles because you can't really see anything near your chest. Um, and while it's a pretty small portion of the lens that they extended, it is actually a pretty noticeable difference. I can actually see my chest straps finally. And um, overall, I've just been very, very high on the goggle. The fit is a little bit trickier to dial in than some other goggles I've used, I think because the lens itself um, is a bit stiffer because of how it's shaped. But overall, I think it's a pretty cool um, advancement in goggles, whereas we haven't really seen it change in lens shape in a long time. It's basically either spherical or cylindrical, um, and that's what you get to pick from. But the yeah, the new 4D mag is pretty sweet. And like all the Smith goggles I've used, the optics are really nice and the lens change is easy. 
Um, so that's one that I've been spending a lot of time with this season. Sam, have you used that one? I have. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to echo pretty much everything Luke said. Um, the fit doesn't work quite as well for me as it does for Luke. And the 4D mag is definitely sort of the most revolutionary goggle that we're looking at right now. Kind of the um, the other class of goggles that we've been looking at too are sort of price point goggles that work pretty well. So I think the the uh, the most impressive when it comes to price point and feature set is the Zipline XT, and we're going to have a review of that here in the next few weeks. But um, for a goggle that comes in, I think right now on their website it's selling for eighty dollars. Um, it's got a full like Anon M series style magnetic lens swap system. So super kind of just like, just like, just like those Anons do. It's really secure and super easy. Like you can, like, I think Luke, Luke made this comment a few, a few months back that kind of stuck with me. Like you can just like throw the lens at your face and it'll stick to the, to the frame. Um, that's how easy these lenses are to swap and the zip lines for an incredibly low price does a great job. Um, we've been pretty happy with the optics and the fit on the frame is pretty solid. Uh, there's like a few, you know, minor little things here and there, but, um, but for, for, for that price point, the feature set is really impressive. I, uh, I also, so there's going to be coming out probably right around when this podcast comes out is this sweep protection goggle. So sweep protection is releasing a whole new line of goggles next year. And, um, we got a chance to look at their price point goggle, which is called the firewall. Um, which has been a kind of a joy for me to wear because the goggle is so freaking comfortable. Um, it's a full frame goggle that's pretty flexible. So it forms to my face really well. And, uh, and it's, it's probably like, even though it doesn't have crazy lens swap system or like, you know, super high contrast, fancy lenses that, you know, cut out blue light or whatever, all these things that these companies are doing. Um, it's just an easy goggle to wear and it's comfortable. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty high on that goggle right now. And they look sweet, which makes me mad because I was like, damn it. Why does, <laughs> why does Sam get to wear the cool looking goggles? So, um, do you know the price point on those? Yeah, they're uh, 110 and, uh, yeah, so they do look sweet. I think they look sweet. The other day I went ski touring with some friends of mine who hadn't seen the goggles yet. And, uh, we get to the top of the line and I put the goggles on. The goggles are like white frames with white straps. I put the goggles on and I put on my helmet, which this helmet is um, the Petzl Meteor. It's white and gray. So it's like it's a very like white gray look on the on the top of my body. And both of my ski touring partners commented independently that I look like a robot. Um, so take, <laughs> take, take that how you want. But um, <laughs> okay. I think they look sick. I think they look cool yeah. too. I do too. I have a goggle story. It's a much less happy one. Luke was with me. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to, I won't name a company name because, you know, every company occasionally has a, a defective thing happen. I think this was a case of a clear defect. So we have alerted the company, you know, hey, mistakes get made. We are going to be getting a different lens in. But I was going out with Luke to ski put on this new goggle and was like, whoa, like I, you know, like when you're at a, when you're at a backyard barbecue and there's the flames coming off the grill and just everything goes into a weird, crazy, distorted blur vision thing. 
Well, that's what this looked like, except it was when just like walking to get on a chairlift and then looking around on that chairlift, I thought I was going to either vomit or like get like vertigo and fall off the chairlift. And so then I got to actually ski the afternoon with that. So that was like the worst goggle experience I think of my life. But, you know, we came back and after a lot of cursing and the rest, like we kind of examined it more closely and and it was just basically, Luke, you were, you know, we were saying there were bubbles coming up kind of on the interior lens. Is that a decent way of saying it? Yeah. So most modern lenses are, it's, it's two lenses kind of laminated together and there was a very noticeable bubble between those two lenses on both sides, which was very clearly causing that distortion. Um, so yeah, we're going to, I assume that's a manufacturing defect because the other lens we had for that goggle was perfectly fine. Um, so hopefully we'll get a new one and uh, see see how it does when it's not making you look like you're tripping balls. Yeah, I think that was my quote. I feel like I'm tripping balls right now. You know, it's funny. Yeah, when people are like, oh man, that's sick. You guys just review gear. I was like, I literally wanted to vomit an entire day of skiing. And it's also fun when you like, are at CB skiing like steep techie stuff and you feel like you're tripping balls. You're like <laughs> sick, sick. Uh, what did I do to deserve this? Anyway, but we do hope that's just because frankly, if the next lens is the same, we are definitely putting out a like public service announcement on that thing and being like, this is dangerous. Don't buy this lens. Unless you, you want know? to trip so, out while you're skiing. Yeah, it actually maybe is like a perfect party lens. Or yeah, something. there you go. Just take <laughs> so it just, to music right. festivals. <laughs> exactly. Perfect. People would love that. <laughs> they would love that, actually. Exactly. Luke. I think we have we a new go. we have a new company to start. <laughs> we do have a new. We need to hurry Luke's up and finish this episode. Yeah, shouldn't have said that <laughs> Good out loud. Good job, Luke. <laughs> yep, um, the music festival goggles. That's amazing. Wow, Gear Thirty's just turned into this engine of uh, new business ideas between Sam's new dating app and Luke's new music festival goggle. I think this think is tank. A, think tank is what people call this. This is right. It's good. <laughs> um. Uh, my turn. I want to talk a bit about the Armada ARV 106 Ti. This is a ski that I was out again on this past weekend, and um, turns out me and the ARV 106 Ti are just we're getting along swimmingly. I would not call this a burly ski, but I would call this a nice ski, and it's been a really comfortable ski. I now we are skiing both the 188 and the 180. I've only skied the 188. Luke has been on both. I'll ask him to talk about the, the, those length differences here in a sec. But um, that 188 ARV 106 Ti has um, just been a ski I've gotten along really well with at Crested Butte. So yeah, not a burly ski, but a decent amount of stability. Um, so it's kind of there for you, but it's not a ski that's going to kick your ass. Interestingly... It has quite a forward mount point. I think Luke helped me out here. It's like, it's a, just a little bit, it's like minus two, minus two and a half. Yeah, minus two and a half. Oh, wow. Yeah. But they also, they say that they kind of have two recommended mount points, like minus two and a half and then minus five-ish um, for more of a traditional mount point. Yep. And my my first days skiing the ski, Luke had just, 
given me the heads up and was like, dude, just ski this thing at minus five. And I really liked it there. It felt extremely comfortable. And then this last day I was out on it, I was like, let me just ski this thing on the line. And granted, I'm a directional skier. I'm not spinning, but I, if my ski partners would have been willing to stop and slow down at all, which God bless them, they were not, I would have liked to have moved that thing back closer to that minus five line. Um, at minus two, it just felt like a lot of tail. And granted, I, I didn't move it. I skied the whole day on that position uh, at the minus two and kind of got used to it. But that thing at minus five felt pretty money to me. And um, so I think it just deserves to be on the radar of people who, again, aren't looking like for the stiffest, burliest, chargeriest ski out there, but a ski that bombing around CB felt quite nice in a lot of situations. So Luke, thoughts and comments on the length differences? Yeah, I think I think that ski is rad in both lengths. And I also really like the ARV 96 Ti, which I just spent a few days on. The surprising thing for me, while I typically like skis in the 185 to 188 range, I think I actually prefer the 180 ARV 106 Ti for Crested Butte. I might change my opinion if I skied somewhere else, but I was skiing that a few days this week um, and I skied that one only on the recommended line, whereas I skied the 188 um, on the recommended line and at around minus five, five and a half. But the 180, it's just like, it's still got that really nice suspension of the 188. It doesn't feel harsh at all, but it's just a bit more playful. I was trying to cram in as many tricks as I could on closing day and having a 180 centimeter ski was a lot easier to spin on than a 188. And I'm pretty sure if I had tried to backflip the 188 on the last run of the day, like I did on the 180, I would have caught my tips. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it was super fun. Um, I think it's an amazing spring slush ski. Um, it's got that combination of like not hooky at all floats in the deeper, softer slush, but still enough backbone and has a damp enough feel that it can kind of power through with the stuff when it's firmer at the end of the day or early in the day. And yeah, overall, it's just like, I mean, it's kind of what you would expect. They took a all mountain freestyle ski and put two layers of Tetanol in it and turns out really fun combo note to any other companies who want to do that. Um, <laughs> Cause you get a playful shape, uh, but you get uh, just kind of a more damp construction. And yeah, I'm super, super big fan of both of those skis. The 96 Ti is a lot of fun too. Um, kind of just more firm, firm snow oriented. Feels a little bit stronger than the 106s. Um, but yeah, both those skis, a lot of really good combination of playfulness and stability. I'm a fan. Okay. I had what is definitely a very subjective question I mean, we still are going to be testing skis for the next couple of months at least. But so far, I'm curious to hear what ski company has piqued your interest the most this season or kind of raised your interest level. Anything stand out? Yeah. So for me, I'm I'm gonna say I'm gonna say G3. In the past, I've skied a lot on that G3 sender, which I've talked a lot about, and it's one of my favorite skis on the market right now. 
this year I, or I should say recently, I've gotten to ski on the Romer 108 and I have the Finder 102 in my garage ready to go um, for probably next day the weather clears, which right now it's snowing hard in Colorado, so who knows when that's going to be. But after skiing that Romer 108, that has a lot, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, it has it has a lot of the same characteristics as the Sender 112, just in a much more forgiving package that's a bit has a bit better suspension because it's got a bit more weight behind it. Um, I've been really, really liking that Romer 108. And hand, hand flexing that Finder 102, it feels like a really compelling, um, a really compelling flex for a ski mountaineering ski. You know, it's pretty stout in the middle of, of the ski and the tips and tails are accessible, but not floppy by any means. And I'm really psyched on the magnets. <laughs> say, say what you will about the, about the magnets in the Finder 102. Maybe it's a gimmick, maybe it's not, but just from how how much quicker it can make a transition from like from skinning to booting in a tight situation um you know whether that's a tight couloir or steep line or whatever it might be um i think those magnets are going to come in handy so i'm psyched to get time on the finder i have really been enjoying the roamer the sender is one of my favorite skis and uh i think uh, i think g3 is making making some quality skis you know i put time on that finder 102 several seasons ago now i think so I will be interested in comparing notes with you. And I mean, aside from adding the magnets, do we know if there have been changes to that 102? So I believe the answer, I mean, I, I believe that, that, that what they're saying is no. However, hand flexing the Finder 102 the other day and then reading what you had to write about it, it didn't exactly match up. The ski feels stiffer than you described. So, um, I'll, I'll have to go back and double check with G3, but uh, yeah, let's compare notes. I'm psyched. Yeah. I, it's kind of impossible for me to think that if you add magnets into the construction of a ski, you haven't somehow at least altered that flex pattern a bit. So that wouldn't be a big surprise to me if in fact you're right that the ski that you have in hand is a bit a bit different from what I was on. Yeah, we'll have to see. Yeah, Sam, were you wearing like a metal watch when you were hand flexing it? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good point. I should have done it in, in like a shielded room though. <laughs> Luke, what do you got? So there's a few companies that I could throw out there, but I think Line Skis is probably the top one. I haven't skied a ton of Line Skis in the past. Um, the Sick Day 104, which comes back unchanged for next year, is one of my favorite skis of all time. And I like the Sick Day 114 a lot too. But this year I had a chance to get on a few other ones. And it was kind of just like, like we talk about placing a ski, like figuring out what type of skier would most appreciate it. And in some skis, that's kind of tricky to figure out. But the skis I've been on from line this year, it's just like, yes, this is this is designed for a specific skier. And it will be very fun for this specific type of skier and the skis i've been on from line kind of fit into that category first the sir francis bacon is probably the most fun ski i've been on this year just as a general super ambiguous way to describe it it's very light super playful just like super poppy easy to bend carves really well for its width and is really loose and if you get it in soft snow 
I like that ski way more than I expected to. I thought it was just going to be like some floppy noodle that was not playful enough to warrant choosing as like a playful specific ski, like the kind of current bacon is the 1819 one and not stable enough to ski really hard, but it's just, it's so playful that like when I want to just mess around and hit the park or jump off of spin off of natural features, that's the ski I want to be on. And then the outline is basically the the wider bacon and it shares a lot of the same characteristics. It's got a really unique feel in terms of being strong on edge and fun to carve but as soon as you get it in any 3d snow the tips and tails are really loose but the rest of the ski isn't and sam and i probably spent like half an hour trying to put that feeling into words in our full review of the outline that we just posted turns out it's really I mean, call difficult it, call it a feeling or call it a vibe oh yeah that other word <laughs> god damn it yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then in addition to those skis, also have been touring on the Line Vision 108 and we'll be getting on the 98 very soon. Um, and as someone who likes skis like the Bacon and other like more center mounted, twin tip, more playful skis, but who also likes to tour and skin up stuff to get down it, the Vision series looks really awesome and I've been super happy with the 108. It comes in at a really lightweight. It's like a little over 1,600 grams, but it's got basically a twin tail, pretty symmetrical flex pattern, progressive mount point around minus six, and just feels really intuitive coming from those more freestyle or playful oriented skis. And that's kind of a slot in the market that's been empty for a little while. And that is, uh, I think, getting filled more for 1920. But between the Vision, the Outline, and the Bacon, and then also the Sick Day 104, which I still absolutely love, it's made me very, very appreciative of Line for next year. Hmm. Well done. Man, you guys are good at this. Maybe I have the most subjective answer, and just because I kind of felt like, I don't know, mostly talking about one ski in particular, but I want to give a shout-out to Fisher for what they've got going on with their Ranger series. CBMR season just wrapped up this Sunday, and I've been working very hard the last several weeks and had kind of been sick and the rest. And so I was like, all right, it's the last day of lift access riding at Crested Butte. I'm just taking whatever ski I feel like taking out today. And I went with the Fisher Ranger 102. And I had a great time again on that ski and it really just got me thinking about, you know, we've been spending time on the Fisher Ranger 94 and I've been spending time on this Fisher Ranger 107 and I just like what they've got going on right now. And I think if we're talking about trend stuff, we do continue to see a lot of companies looking to skew a bit lighter and lighter and that's just not what's happening in this Ranger series. These are fairly stout skis, and they're not all the same. So I would it's say like, very stout <laughs> compared well, to current skis. The 102, at least. One, the 107 is dude. The 107 is burly. <laughs> burly. Oh, I haven't skied yet. Worked up a sweat <laughs> hand yeah, flexing like, it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, and and our reviewer Eric Friesen, who couldn't be here today, I mean. 
he just came in and, you know, I just was talking with him yesterday about the 107 and he's in on it. And he's like, I would happily make this my daily driver. And to be frank, like, I would not be interested in making the 189 centimeter 107 Ranger TI my daily driver, not for CB, but the one, the 102, I would. And just point being is I think they're, they're going a different way, a little bit of a different direction. And I think for a lot of people who maybe are like, man, I miss like what's happening to all the, you know, relatively stout skis that hold up pretty well when you're pushing them hard. It's like this Ranger series is now a series that I am going to be recommending that a lot of people take a look at. And it's an interesting evolution, I think, from where that Ranger series, I'm not saying that they've completely moved away from this, but it really started a bit more on just that 50-50, like throw a, tour, throw a tech binding on it, ski it inbounds, go tour on it, whatever. And I don't know who in the world should be touring on that 189-107. I'd argue nobody. I bet Eric would. <laughs> yeah, Eric probably would. I take it back. And then he'd go like shoot a, you know, elk and then like carry it out on his shoulders while skinning on the 107s. But whatever, that guy, no, he's all, he's all talk. He, he did just, he, he did just ice climb up a couloir, I guess this weekend. So props to him. But to be clear, he did not do that with the 107s. So I really don't think we should give him that much credit. Anyway, Props to Fisher for that Ranger series. And I mean, not just the Ranger series. Obviously, we're still huge fans of like that curve ski. I, th I still think for a skinny ski, that thing is remarkable. Um, so there is my ode to the Ranger series. Okay, new development. We introduced today a blister reader survey. And just before we started recording this conversation, I asked Sam if he'd taken a look at any of the answers. And he, with some amount of delight, was like, yes, I have. Thank you for asking. And he said, I want to talk about some of these on this podcast. So Sam, the floor is yours. What is our beloved Blister audience telling us or sharing with us? Yeah. So first of all, I want to say, for those of you who haven't seen the survey on the site, go check it out. We are going to randomly pick someone who completes the survey to win a full pair of custom Folsom skis, which is pretty sweet. That's a $1,300 ski that you get to go talk to Mike at Folsom and make up a ski of your own, which I think is pretty much everyone's dream. And we'll also throw in, if you are interested in getting our thoughts on what ski might be good for you and which shape and flex patterns and the rest, you know, hit us up about that or just ignore us. That's totally fine too. Work that out with Mike at Folsom. But if you want our two cents on that, we will definitely be willing to work that out with the, with the winner of this thing. So it's a, it's a pretty good prize for, uh, for just giving us your feedback so that we can make Blister better, hopefully. Yeah. So go fill out the survey. It'll only take you about, I don't know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes max. And, and I, you know, reading, reading through, through responses so far, and we just released it a few hours ago, so everything's real preliminary, but so far things have been real helpful. I think clarifying some stuff for us, you know, like we, we definitely want to be improving Blister as much as we can. So um, appreciate the people who have filled it out so far and psyched on the people who are still going to. But there were some pretty uh, funny responses, if I do say so. Um, 
Most of the funny responses came from a question we asked that it says something like, what are your favorite non-outdoor brands? So like, you know, not Patagonia, North Face, Arc'teryx, whatever. Um, and the, the response that got me thinking about talking about this on the podcast was some dude wrote, um, dude, could, it could be a woman as well. He wrote in Cheerios as one of his favorite brands, which really resonated with me. <laughs> <laughs> really? Cheerios? Cheerios, yeah. This particular individual also wrote Kohler, as in like the company that makes faucets and stuff. I am based out of Wisconsin, uh-huh. my home state. There you go. <laughs> Represent. <laughs> wow. Cheerios and bathroom faucets. I get real passionate but, about sinks and cereal. <laughs> Hey, people, people are loyalists when it comes to breakfast, you know? I get that. Yep. Some, somebody should start the Sinks and Cereal podcast. There you go. <laughs> so most of the sort of like interesting responses in this are people, you know, making jokes about the fact that they, that they don't care about non-outdoor brands at all, um, <laughs> which is my, my, my favorite one of those is um, the responses, are you asking about condoms, question mark? <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Or um or I drive a Ford and use a Colgate toothbrush. There you go. Colgate makes toothbrushes? Yeah. I didn't know that. What kind of toothbrush do you use? Some like electric one. Fancy. I just use whatever the dentist gave me. <laughs> yeah. I'm a big believer in electric toothbrushes. You should you should all be using one, as far as I can tell. I use a Philips Sonicare electric toothbrush. It's probably the most advanced toothbrush in the world. Oh, wow. Look at me. I'm Sam. I have a fancy toothbrush. (laughs) I got it at Costco. (laughs) (laughs) We might need to do an electric toothbrush roundup at some point. I think the world might need this. Because there's all these brands, right? There's some brand I've been hearing about called like Quip or something. Yep. Is Is it better or worse than whatever fancy toothbrush Sam has? I don't know. My old roommate was a dentist, so we can uh, bring him in to consult. Mm, There we go. Okay. Or, yeah, let's see, you know, Gear 30 listeners, if you have strong feelings or uh, loyalties to certain electronic toothbrush brands, let us know, and maybe we will put up this this roundup. That would be a departure for us. But anyway, my all-time favorite response, at the end of the survey, we asked the question of, like, do you have any other comments or questions or concerns or whatever? And someone wrote in, you need to do Tinder 2, the sequel. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> which really validated me, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, we've already recorded it, like, what, three times now? <laughs> oh, there's been a few. I mean, it comes up a lot these days. Tinder uh, 2, the bootleg tapes, right? <laughs> Tinder 2, the sequel. What would, what would, what would part two, what is, what is the sequel? I'm not sure we're ready for that yet, but uh, we're... <laughs> I'm I, I'm gonna call up our writers, you know, see uh-huh. uh, start a brainstorming session. And... By the way, did that that person who I still think totally it, totally lied about getting into the University of Chicago? Did she? Did, did you ever hear anything from that person? No. Yeah. yeah. Nah, she's a faker, or just smart. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Hard to say. Um, okay, as we wrap this up, Luke. You mentioned that you had sort of a random review or there was a company or something that you wanted to talk about. What do you got? Yeah, so this is pretty specific to my daily life. But basically, uh, at Blister, we end up adjusting a lot of bindings and um, using screwdrivers a lot. 
and we've somehow managed to lose a lot of screwdrivers, apparently. Um, so for the past few weeks, I've been using a bright pink screwdriver that I bought when I got to college that has interchangeable bits and has a apparently terrible rubber grip. And I've given myself probably like five or six blisters this season just from screwing screws into and out of bindings and adjusting DIN settings. And then Sam was nice enough to grab a G3 branded Posi screwdriver the other week, which uh, our audio engineer, Luke Alley, kindly brought to CB. Um, and I just had to take out some bindings and put some back in today and have no blisters. And was ex it was extremely easy to get the screws in and out of the skis. And I just want to shout out G3's branded Posi screwdrivers. I don't know who actually makes them, but they are fantastic and they make my life a lot happier. Um, and if you ever need a Posi screwdriver, uh, I don't even know if they sell them, but they're oh, really yeah, they good. <laughs> okay. Well, wait a second. This is an important topic now because I use Posi drivers like more than forks or spoons like this is that. an important this That's is actually impor true yeah. <laughs> yeah no it's true like yeah my i have a very minimalist eating yeah situation one might say but uh so you're claiming that this is actually better than all the other i think we've used every posi driver made on earth and then also lost every posi driver made on earth I'm seriously upset. I think we I think we've lost like 20 this season. So I don't know where they're going. Um rats maybe are stealing them. I don't know what's happening. Or they're just all we're gonna find them all someday, like all stashed in like one old backpack somewhere. But you're claiming that these are actually better posies than all the other posies we used, or that you were just happy to have a posse given the whatever pink terrible thing you were using. Um so I think in terms of, well, first off, the grip, I think, is very good. It's grippy without being abrasive, which my pink interchangeable bit screwdriver is extremely abrasive, apparently, from the scars I'm looking at on my hands. <laughs> um, and I don't know. It just, like, it fits perfectly into whatever screws ski bindings typically use. And I didn't, like... I remember I had to put bindings into the ARV96TI a few days ago and I was like sweat dripping down my forehead just like <laughs> trying to press as hard as possible into the ski because the bit that I was using was not exactly perfect even though it was a posi bit and literally like took out two or three bindings today with no issues at all, never stripped, stripped the screws and I didn't get any blisters on my hand and all I know is that the G3 Posi screwdrivers are fantastic. Um, I haven't AB'd them against five other Posi <laughs> screwdrivers, but... Oh, shoddy work. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought we trained you better. All I know is they're really good, and I'm very happy with them. And okay. I will back that up, actually. I've been using the G3 Posi. I've, I've had one now for like two years, I want to say. Um, and yeah, the handle is exactly like Luke said. It's big, it's easy to manipulate, but it's not like, overly grippy. Also, it just it just seems to work. Like whenever I whenever I have a binding, what whatever brand, whatever thing it is, sometimes they're like screws are deep in holes or whatever. The G three Posi just like fits in all the spots perfectly. It's almost like it was made for adjusting skis. You know, crazy. <laughs> wow, <laughs> this is this is something else. 
G3, if you're listening, we could use a box of pauses at Mr. <laughs> headquarters because I don't know them. what happens to them all. So maybe Eric Friesen's stealing all of them. Maybe. Ah, okay. I got a new. I got it. When he's not busy breaking skis, he's uh, yeah. stealing our posies. So he's got to crank his um, tins up right. to the max. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's wrap this up. My, I'm gonna do this super fast. A brand that's on my radar, and I have never actually. I don't think I've ever seen one of their products like out in the wild. But this company called American Giant. And for years now, have you guys seen this? They've been advertising that they make like the best sweatshirt or hooded sweatshirt ever. It's quite the claim. It's quite the claim. And first of all, I think I like zip up sweatshirts more than like maybe any form like of clothing. And I was like, wait a second, we need to look into this, I think. Because they're going around claiming they've made like literally like it's just splashed all over their website and marketing. And this hoodie apparently costs like $108. So expensive for a hoodie, but I'm not mad because if the question is, would I pay $108 for the best zip up hooded sweatshirt in the world? The answer is yes, for sure. Cause I'm going to wear it like 250 days a year. So, but it just got me thinking like, does anybody actually have any experience with this company? So, Gear 30 listeners, if you do, and especially if you've checked out their like whatever classic expensive zip up hoodie, I would like to hear from you. And if we don't hear anything, I think we're going to have to just get our hands on this thing. And, and um, I need to decide for myself if, uh, if, if they should be getting away with making this claim. Huh. Yeah, intriguing. Um, apparently, this stuff is made in the USA. Thought that was interesting. Some of their stuff does look good, but in particular, I was like, we need to explore and investigate into this very bold claim they're making about a zip-up hoodie. Yeah, I mean, I wear a pullover hoodie about 75% of the days I live, so I would be very interested (laughs) in trying their pullover hoodie. They do make pullover hoodies. I don't know if they call those the best pullover hoodies on earth ever, as they do their zip up, but I mean, we can, we're going to investigate this, but it'd be interesting to get some feedback from anybody who's actually bought this stuff. So that's all I got. Thanks to Sam and Luke. Thanks to all of you for listening. Do please go fill out that blister survey. You've got a shot at winning a $1,300 custom Folsom ski of your choice. It's pretty good. So please fill out that survey and we will talk to you all again very soon. See ya. See ya. That's it for this edition of Gear 30. Thanks to Luke and Sam for the conversation, and thanks to Luke Alley for producing this episode. Now, please do not forget to head over to the website and fill out our survey. It will help us make Blister better, and you might also win some very sick custom skis. As always, thanks for listening. Please take good care out there, and we will talk to you again next week.